This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. This morning we'll only look at the first part of the moment that changed everything. So I invite you, if you will, to take your Bible and to please open it to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28. And this morning and next week, we'll be focusing on verses 1 through 10. Although I do not really need to set the context for what we are about to read, I will only take a moment to say that Jesus has been crucified. He is dead. He is not simply passed out into a comatose state upon the cross, He is dead. The soldiers who crucified him that Friday were professionals at dealing out death. Jesus was dead. Now we pick up in verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come, come and see the place where he laid. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up. And took hold of the feet of Jesus and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. May God be glorified in the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. It's interesting to me to look back at history. And to gauge what are the pivotal moments in history. Now I recognize that there is a level of subjectivity to such a question. 
For were you to look back at American history and to ask the question, what, what are the most pivotal moments in our nation's past? One could be justified in saying, well, it must have been that day when General Washington defeated General Cornwallis at Yorktown. That's a day that changed the course of this young nation, and it would be hard to argue with that. Others, however, might answer by saying, as great as that day was, the most pivotal moment had to be that day at Appomattox, where General Lee, representing the Confederacy, surrendered to General Grant, representing the Union. Others would say, we need not look that far back to recognize the pivotal moment in our history. They might say, you simply only have to look at September the 11th, 2001 to say, that is the day that changed America forever. This task of ascertaining what is the most pivotal moment in history becomes even more difficult should we broaden the scope to world history. What are the most pivotal moments in the history of this world? Would it be that day on the plains of Samaria in 3500 B.C. where someone said, look at this thing that spins when I roll it. I think I'll call it a wheel. Or could it be that time in the dark ages when almost one half of the population of Europe was eradicated because of the Black Plague? Others might answer by saying, no, the pivotal moment in history occurred when Johann Gutenberg announced the invention of what is called the printing press. And should we step back even further to ask the question, what are the pivotal moments in cosmic history, the history of the universe, we might despair in thinking, who could answer such a grand question? But I would submit to you the answer to the most pivotal moments in cosmic history is simple. There are two. Outside of creation, the first pivotal moment is when Adam and Eve rebelled against God and sin, death, and destruction entered into this world. The second pivotal moment is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For that was the moment that sin was undone, death was defeated, and destruction would now be eradicated. Now some may answer, well, pastor, wouldn't the most pivotal moment be the death of Jesus upon the cross? My response would be that of the words of the Apostle Paul who wrote in 1 Corinthians that if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, your faith is in vain. If Jesus has not been raised from the dead, then your belief is foolishness. For without the resurrection of Jesus from the dead... The cross would simply be a moral example of one who sacrificed his life. His name would only be added to the list of the many martyrs who died for a cause and remained dead. Yet Jesus did not remain in the grave. Jesus rose from the dead. And we are reminded that in his resurrection there was something of cosmic significance taking place. 
I state that because of the physical phenomenon that accompanied both his death and his resurrection. If you look back for just a moment at chapter 27 of the Gospel of Matthew in verses 51 and 52, you'll notice that right after Jesus cries out with a loud voice and yields up his spirit, Matthew says that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. It's as if God himself reached down from heaven, grabbed the top of the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place and tore it in two as we would tear a piece of paper. God in doing so was signifying that the entrance into me is open for all who would come by faith. But notice what happened after this. Verse 51 continues, The earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were opened and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I confess to you I do not know what to do with verses 52 and 53. That when Jesus died so immediate were the effects that the dead, the Old Testament saints, many of them came out of the grave and walked around. Let's just let that be and not try to explain that. But notice that when Jesus died, it was so consequential that the earth began to quake. But this isn't the only earthquake recorded in connection with the death of Jesus. For notice in verse 2 of chapter 28 that there was a great earthquake because an angel descended. At both his death and his resurrection, the earth begins to quake, announcing with vibration that something of cosmic importance was occurring so the task before me today is to try to summarize the meaning of the resurrection. How does one do that? That's like a, a teacher, an English teacher, giving an assignment to their class stating, read Tolstoy's great work, War and Peace, which counts over 1,200 pages, and then write an essay summarizing that work, which the essay has to be less than 100 words. Nevertheless, I will do my best to summarize the meaning of the resurrection. And this morning, my feeble attempt will be to do so in this phrase. Grief changed to eternal joy. What is the meaning of the resurrection? Grief changed to eternal joy. You see, the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, they arrived at the tomb grieving, but left rejoicing. They came with tears, but they left with laughter. They came with their heads bowed low in lament, but they left with their heads lifted high with praise because their grief had turned into joy on a very personal note. Keep in mind that these Marys were hurting. Not just the pain of the death of Jesus, but they were grieving the loss of their dreams. No doubt these Marys had accompanied Jesus as he made the walk from Galilee to Jerusalem. And this was the walk of anticipation. 
Is this the time that Jesus will announce that he is the Messiah, where he will leave no doubt that he is the king? It was a walk filled with anticipation, one that you and I can identify with. We all share the commonality that there are events that we look forward to. We anticipate them with great joy. An upcoming wedding day, the birth of a child, the birth of a grandchild, a celebration of graduation. We anticipate such moments with joy. But not only did these ladies walk with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem in a walk of anticipation. They walked with him to the cross. This is the walk of shock. Disbelief. And disappointment. You and I could add our steps to this journey. Every one of us in here would have a testimony to give of moments we anticipated to bring joy only to be met by grief. A relationship broken. A diagnosis that comes way too soon. Even death that should not have occurred. That's where we can identify with the Marys, not only in the walk of anticipation and the walk of disbelief, but in the walk of grief. Because these two ladies walked with Joseph of Arimathea as he carried the body of Jesus. Just as you and I have all too often walked behind the casket. And I cannot help but wonder if on that day as they were walking behind Joseph, if they uttered the same words that we often, often say. He's not hurting now. He's at peace. And no doubt these two women would have stayed there at the gravesite had it not been for the Sabbath. That's why we were reminded that after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day, they returned to the tomb. And that is when the transformation took place. Their grief became joy. The goodbyes they had stated became hellos because death had been defeated by the resurrection. And that is the answer to the grief that we experience in this world. That is the answer to the disappointments that we endure in this world of travail. It is the promise that the resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee, the deposit, the down payment, the earnest money that more resurrections will occur as we trust in him. You see the resurrection of Jesus is the promise that on the day he returns all who have had faith in him will experience Experience resurrection in the same manner that Jesus did. Paul emphasizes this when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15. But in fact Jesus, that is Christ, has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now the first fruits are the guarantee that this is the first implying that there will be a second and a third. In other words, Jesus is simply the forerunner of all who by faith in him will follow on that great getting up morning when Jesus returns. For as in Adam all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now in verse 22, he's not referring to the fact we are new creations when we come to faith. He says we shall be made alive. That is the dead will come back to life resurrected. But each in his own order. 
Jesus or Christ, the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to him. Paul emphasizes this again in Colossians 1.18. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. You see, our hope is this. Not that one day, by faith in Jesus, you and I will be spirits, disembodied, floating around in some heavenly place, but it is the reality that our hope is a resurrected body. That's the hope of the gospel. Tony Campolo wrote about the first funeral he attended when he um, was 16 years old. It was a funeral at an African-American church. A friend of his by the name of Clarence had died. And Campolo said that he would never forget that funeral service as long as his mental facilities allowed him. The pastor that day was incredible. When he started preaching, he preached about the resurrection in such beautiful terms that the congregation was thrilled. And then the pastor came down from the pulpit and started talking to the family. He comforted them from John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me, said Jesus. Clarence has now gone to the heavenly mansions. Then, for the last 20 minutes of the sermon, that pastor actually preached to the open casket. Now that's drama. He looked at the casket. He looked to the corpse. And he said, Clarence, Clarence. And he said it with such authority, the congregation would not have been surprised if Clarence had answered. Clarence, there were a lot of things we should have said to you that we never said to you. You got away too fast, Clarence. You got away too fast. And then he went down this litany of beautiful things that Clarence had done for people. And when he finished, and here's where it really reached its its climax, he said, that's it, Clarence. There's nothing more to say. And when there's nothing more to say, there's only one thing to say. Good night. Good night, Clarence. And then that pastor grabbed the lid of the casket and slammed it shut. Shockwaves went out over the congregation. And then the pastor turned around, and he was smiling. Good night, Clarence. Good night. Because I know that God is going to give you a good morning. And then the choir stood and started singing, On that great morning we shall rise, we shall rise. And they started dancing in the aisles and hugging one another. I want my funeral to be like that. They knew the joy of the Lord that in the face of death we need not fear and we need not leave with such heartache and thinking that it's a forever goodbye but it is simply a farewell until we meet one another in eternity. The resurrection promises us that grief is turned into joy not only because of the resurrection of the dead but because the injustices of this world are promised to be rectified. This is where the resurrection impacts us as believers on a societal level. It's not just about how the resurrection impacts you. 
The resurrection is the promise that justice will be done. If you study and read into the the laws of the Jews as well as the Roman law, you will find that the the trial of Jesus was illegal. Under both Roman and Jewish trial law, a person is not to be tried at night. When was Jesus tried? In the darkness of night. The witnesses who were brought to testify against Jesus lied. Their stories contradicted one another. Yet the lies were ignored. Jesus was convicted wrongly. So the question then becomes, would those who lied get away with it? Would those who oversaw this kangaroo court be able to gloat that they had overcome Jesus? The resurrection of Jesus reminds us that he indeed has the last word to right the wrongs of this world. Jesus himself had done no wrong. And although he was crucified for our sins, he had never sinned. So how could he be held for the wages of sin when he had never sinned? And although it is clear in the scripture he died vicariously on our behalf, Jesus could not stay dead lest there be injustice with God. But as Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the arc of the moral universe is long and it always bends toward justice because God is just. And the resurrection reminds us that our God has the last word. Theologian N.T. Wright said, The message of the resurrection is that this world matters. The injustices and pains of this present world must now be addressed with the news, the good news of the healing, justice, and the love of Jesus Christ. If Easter means Jesus Christ is only raised in a spiritual sense, then it's only about me. And finding a new dimension in my personal spiritual life. But if Jesus Christ is truly risen from the dead, Christianity has good news for the whole world. News which warms our hearts precisely because it isn't just about warming our hearts. Easter means that in a world where injustice, violence, and degradation are endemic, God is not prepared to tolerate such things. And that we, as the church, will work and plan with all the energy of God to implement victory, the victory of Jesus over them all. Until the day that Jesus returns, church, you and I are the forward operating base of the kingdom of God. We are to be the ones who show what the resurrection life is about. If the kingdom of God is about righteousness, peace, joy, and love, the church is to be that point of the spear going into the world, pointing them to the grace, peace, love, and righteousness of God. The church is to be an outpost where those who are hungry for love can find the love of God. The church is to be the place where those who are broken can find the healing that God gives. The church is to be the place where a world that is enamored and filled with death can find life in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's who we are. We'll get more to that next week. God has placed us here to remind the world that injustice, 
does not win in the end. Therefore, therefore, be not discouraged. For the powers of this world will not have the last word. See, I understand. I, I feel the same way. I confess to you without any sense of shame. I don't watch a lot of news. Because I don't want to live life depressed. We look at the news, we hear the news, and we begin to get overwhelmed thinking, who can stop the powers that be? Who can stop the wave of violence sweeping our nation? How can, can the poverty that is, is tearing apart so many lives be stopped? It seems that the powers of darkness are doing a victory dance on our lives. But the resurrection tells us that the powers of this world are powerless against God. I would remind you that the stone was rolled in front of the tomb as common custom of that day. Rolled there, put there by Joseph of Arimathea. It was Pilate who put the seal of the Roman government on it saying, This stone is not to be moved under pain of death brought about by the Roman government. How did that seal stand up to the supernatural power of God? There were soldiers, men of arms placed there at the tomb to keep people out. They weren't prepared to keep somebody in the tomb. They were there ready, swords on, on their side, hands on the hilt, ready to stop. But what happens? The supernatural power of God that caused these soldiers to fall like dead men. The coming, the moment Jesus came out of the tomb, he was declaring that the injustices of this world cannot stand in front of the face of God. Be encouraged, believers. Because we are also reminded that the grief of this world will be turned to joy. Because creation itself will be recreated. As I said a moment ago, the resurrection of Jesus did not only change us on an individual level. Nor did it just change us on a societal level. It has changed and promised to change on a cosmic level. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. As I stated earlier, our final destination is not to be spirits just floating around in some heaven far and away. Followers of Jesus Christ will inhabit a new earth, a new heaven, here. This is the promise given in Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth. When Adam and Eve fell, creation fell. And the story of God's redemption is the recreation of this world. So you're saying, Pastor, you mean that, that in the new earth there will be smoky mountains? Absolutely. With no parking problems. Are you telling me, Pastor, there are going to be beaches where we can go? Absolutely. You can go to the beaches and I don't think you'll have to worry about being sunburned. That's the new creation. This world recreated without sin to enjoy God's creation the guarantee of this is Jesus Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 the first man Adam became a living being the last Adam became a life-giving spirit now the last Adam is Jesus you have the first Adam who fell into sin the last Adam Jesus who never sinned the first Adam was a, a living being through which we we have life 
But the second Adam, the last Adam, gives life in the spirit. We are new creations in him. Now, it's not the spiritual that's first, but the natural, then the spirit. We have this natural body with the promise that one day a body recreated by the Spirit will be ours. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. In other words, the resurrected body will be a body created by the Spirit, flesh and blood like Jesus was post-resurrection. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. In other words, just as Jesus was when he came out of the tomb, so we will be when that last trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ are raised. For this, this mortal body must put on immortality. This corruptible body will be changed into that which is incorruptible. And we have the promise that Jesus, Jesus himself will finish this. Friday night at our service of darkness, as we focus on the final words of Jesus, the last word that we focus on is this from John 19, where Jesus bowed his head and says, it is finished. As I point out in that service, Jesus did not say, I am finished. He says, it is finished. The question has always been, what is the it? Atonement? Yes. But I also think there's something larger taking place here. It is finished, Jesus says. He dies on the Sabbath. He's placed in the tomb, his resting place. Sunday morning, he's resurrected. Now keep in mind what you see here in John 19 and look at Genesis 2. On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. I submit to you, there's a parallel here. Jesus is at work inaugurating the new creation that God will bring about. That Jesus is the last Adam, the first being of that new creation. So that just as God rested on the seventh day from his work, Jesus was in the tomb, the Sabbath. Monday morning, the last Adam steps out. It is finished. What? The work of accomplishing the new creation has begun and will finish on the cross. Church, that is the power in which we are to live. All around us there are reminders of death and things that would cause us to despair. Despair not. Know that death has been defeated. Victory is assured. I love the story that Booker T. Washington tells. Booker T. Washington, a brilliant man, born in the 1850s, grew up as a slave. After slavery was eradicated, he goes on to to be the, the principal founder of the Tuskegee Institute. He shares that as a little boy, their day always began. Their alarm clock, as it were, was the rooster. And when that rooster sounded, it was a reminder that they were slaves. That they were waking up to another day where they would suffer, be forced to toil, and to gain wages that would go to someone else. But then came word that they were free. That emancipation had been granted. Booker T. Washington said the next day after they learned of their freedom, that when the sun rose... 
They fried their alarm clock. The symbol of their slavery was destroyed. Jesus has done that for us, church. He has set us free. Live in the power of the resurrection. Bow with me, if you will. Father, we thank you for these glorious promises and knowing that it's not not by might nor by power, but by your spirit these things are accomplished. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to relegate the resurrection to just one Sunday during the year, but, oh Lord, that we would live every day in the awareness and in the reality of the resurrection. Oh God, grant this. And this morning, Father, I know that as I have preached and as we have gathered to worship through song and prayer, that there are those who heart, whose hearts are heavy. The truth is, this morning, Lord, there are many of us that identify with the Marys before they encountered the resurrected Jesus. And I pray this morning that for all of us who are hurting, we will hear our Lord saying to us, Greetings. Fear not. I am with you. I'm going before you. And I am alive. Reassure us with this, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.